0: right Matthew chapter uh, 21 to 16 for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard about the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing he told them you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right so they went He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last. Worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last.
1: Well, as, uh, as Paul said, here's uh, one of those stories about uh, the kingdom of heaven. And here's one that causes problems for a lot of people. Uh, in fact, it used to cause uh, real problems for me as well, because here's a problem. The landowner... The person who owns the vineyard in the story represents God. And he has a whole load of workers coming and working for him in his vineyards. And he pays them all the same. The problem is, some of them have only turned up in the last hour, have done a, a tiny fraction of the work of the others, and, uh, and yet they get paid the same. And at the end, the, the landowner says, listen, it, this is just me being generous. Uh, what's that to you? I can be generous to people if I want and he, yeah, it's true, isn't it? But you introduced me to one trade union leader who would say, oh, yeah, fair enough. You're quite right. Because te- our tendency is to read this story and think, do you know what? I know the landowner represents God, but I kind of feel the laborers who got hired first have a point. So let's have a look at this. Uh, maybe, maybe you don't feel they've got a point. Maybe... You're not bothered about uh, their attitudes. Um, uh, or You're not bothered about uh, God's generosity in the story here. So I've, th- I've tried to find the most extreme example that I, that I could. Because I think this, uh, this story is meant to get a reaction out of us. So uh, there's a man called uh, Comrade Doik. He's on uh, trial at the moment in Cambodia. Uh, between 1976 and 1979... He was in charge of the notorious S-21 prison camp just outside uh, Phnom Penh in Cambodia when the Khmer Rouge were in charge. Now, in the prison camp that he ran, he ran around 17,000 prisoners were admitted, and only around half a dozen ever came out alive. His job, which he did very efficiently, was to oversee the torture of thousands of people. They were tortured into admitting their so-called crimes and then they were executed. Uh, he has admitted personal responsibility for the deaths of 12,000 people. In 1979, when the Vietnamese army invaded Cambodia and kicked out the Khmer Rouge, uh, Khmer Doik stayed behind in the prison to execute all the surviving prisoners before he made his escape, changed his name, and lived happily in anonymity for uh, about 25 to 30 years. Uh, um, no, a bit less than that. Uh, he, uh, his uh, trial has been going on for a couple of years now. I've been following on, on the news a bit, and uh, he's expected to be sentenced in June. He. Uh, Uh, And reading about the trial on a secular human rights website, I was struck by how many people had posted on the the message boards things like, I hope you burn in hell forever for what you've done, or or describing all kinds of grisly punishments that people should uh, bring in just for him because of just how horrendous his crimes were. Thousands of people tortured into making these confessions and then executed. Uh, I was struck by these uh, uh, notices on the, um, on the website about burning in hell, not because I was surprised that people hate him. I was just surprised that on a secular website, so many people would be so thrilled at the concept of hell. But there's, a, there's another side to his story. Just uh, a few things to add. Um, he was never actually caught. He gave himself up. In, uh, I think it was 1994, he started attending some Bible studies that uh, an American missionary was running in Cambodia. He'd changed his name. He was working as a translator for an aid agency. And he came to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, over a period of a few months, he, he came to realize that Jesus was Lord. And he uh, he repented of his sin. He 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 came and trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Saviour. Uh, and uh, a little while later, um, he met an American journalist and he outed himself to him. He confessed who he was and he gave an interview and he confessed his crimes. And he said that, yes, he would be willing to go to trial if actually that would... Uh, uh, be a helpful thing for the the uh, families of his victims. Well, the interview that, that was printed uh, was printed in Newsweek. It caused a huge media storm back in '96, and uh, a couple of days later, he walked into a police station and gave himself up. And since then, he's been uh, been held, and uh, there's been a trial that's been going on for the last couple of years. Now, the thing that is difficult about Kommerdeyk's situation, I, I use this as a a sermon illustration a few months ago in my church. And I've said, "Comrade Doik has come to know and love the Lord Jesus. And so on the last day, as he stands before God, God will declare him perfect and spotless because of, because of what the, the Lord Jesus Christ has done. He'll stand before him and say, okay, you are guilty of heinous crimes, but they have been paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the way out, uh, someone stopped me, and he was was just really upset by this. And I can understand why. He said, look, it's just not fair, is it? Here's a man who sent thousands of people to their deaths. Some of them will have been Christians. About 90% of the church in Cambodia were slaughtered during the short years of Khmer Rouge. But some of them will, won't have been, and will face God's wrath for, for their own sin. But Comrade who has done so much evil, will waltz into heaven because of what Christ has done. It's not fair, is it? Now I wonder, at this point, do we look at this and say, "Look, it's not fair," and surely there are limits to this, to God's generosity. Well, we're going to come back to that in a moment. But as a, Paul said, this is a a parable. uh, Parables uh, usually have one main point that they're making. And uh, so in order to make that point, uh, not every detail in the story necessarily has uh, a direct meaning. So uh, uh, have you seen the film uh, The Wizard of Oz? When someone wrote that uh, story originally, uh, America was uh, trying to decide uh, whether to swap from basing the dollar on silver or switch to the value of gold. And uh, the guy who wrote the story was dead against it. And so he wrote his story about people who, um, uh, these uh, four companions, who all had these uh, dreams that they wanted fulfilled. And uh, stupidly, they thought that they would all, all, all be fulfilled by following the yellow brick road, okay, gold bars. And, uh, and when they get to their destination, uh, they meet the wizard, who is supposed to solve all their problems, who's just a fraud. He can't help them at all. And uh, these people, who were longing for those things, what they needed was more courage, more brains, and a heart. So, uh, uh, and then at the end of the story, Dorothy discovers that uh, what she really needed was what she had all the, all the way along, the silver slippers she was wearing to get home. Now, the problem is, when they came to make the film, they hadn't long had colour, and they thought... Silver slippers look a bit dull, don't they? So they changed them to ruby, which kind of ruins the whole point he was trying to make. But, uh, but there are a whole load of details in this story that don't necessarily have a meaning. Uh, lots of details that just help the story flow in order for the story to make its, its points. So uh, exactly what does the denarius uh, represent? Or why does he have uh, those, um, uh, those who started work last lined up first and the, and the first um, at, at the end. Well, who knows and who cares? It's kind of like asking in The Wizard of Oz, what do the flying monkeys represent? Well, nothing. They're just exciting and they're scary and they make the story flow. Uh, but the story of The Wizard of Oz, we're probably not going to understand very well. I didn't, under- I didn't realize that it was all about currency and things until I understood the context. And we're not going to understand this story Unless we get the context. So you you have a look at verse 1. It starts, For the kingdom of heaven is like. Now if it starts, For the kingdom of heaven is like, you know we're we're stepping in mid-sentence. So let me tell you what's just been going on uh, in the chapter before. Uh, Jesus is carrying on a conversation with his disciples that started when uh, a a guy who's just identified as a, a rich young ruler came and asked Jesus what do I have to do to enter the kingdom of heaven? Now, uh, in our culture, people who are rich, we tend to be a bit suspect of them, don't we? Uh, We we tend to assume that most people who are rich have got rich by doing something a bit dodgy. So people who are fabulously wealthy, people like the the Russian oligarchs or uh, uh, some uh, Dubai sheikh or things like that, we think, "Hmm, they're probably a bit bit morally dubious. Uh, There may be some expectations, but... In their culture, they didn't make those assumptions. They tended to think if someone was very rich, it showed they were probably very wise, very hardworking, and God has really blessed them. So clearly, they're one of his favorites. So they knew that there were some exceptions to that, but they assumed that uh, this guy, because he was rich, was probably a a really decent sort of bloke. Uh, Also, he, he came up to Jesus, and he was so respectful to him, and you know, he was serious about his soul. He wanted to know how he could get into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he's, uh, he's, asking, he's looking uh, to Jesus for answers, and they discover he's very religious. Jesus tells him, uh, look, you've you got to keep, keep the commandments. And uh, he, he asks which ones, and, and Jesus rattles off a load. You know, don't lie, don't kill, don't commit adultery. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, this guy says, without blushing, you know, since I was a kid, I, I've been keeping all those. Now, Jesus uh, very often uh, just exposed hypocrisy. And uh, there are other conversations we, he had where people were trying to pull the wool over his eyes and he, he blew them out of the water. And the amazing thing about this conversation is at this point, Jesus does not say, you little liar, what about this, 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 and this? He he says instead, look, one thing you lack. And he exposes the fact that this guy uh, has at the center of his priorities, the big thing in his life, his God, if you like, is his cash. He says, look, one thing you lack. If you want heaven, if you want God's, sell that stuff and follow me. And it's too big. And he's exposed. God is not first in his life, it's the cash. And uh, the, the man goes away. Sad. Now, this panics the disciples because the disciples were looking at this guy. He's young, he honors Jesus, he's rich, so he's clearly a favorite of God. Uh, he's pious, uh, he's religious. Clearly, we've found the, the perfect poster boy for the kingdom of heaven. If anyone's going to get in, this guy is first in the queue. And Jesus sends him away sad. Jesus says, no, look, I'm sorry. And it's astonishing. And the the disciples are frightened. In fact, they they look at each other and they say, well, if he can't be saved, who then can be? And Jesus gives them three answers. Uh, Firstly, he tells them, look, this is impossible. It's impossible for uh, uh, anyone, even the rich, to get into heaven unless God does it by a miracle. He says, look, it's it's easier for even a rich person uh, it's harder uh, for even a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is to get a camel through the eye of a needle. Now, none of this uh, kind of nonsense that some people make up about uh, a, a gate with a door in it, so that's a needle gate, and you get a camel. No, none of that. What, he's, what Jesus is saying, it's easier to get a camel through a sewing needle. Okay, so if you imagine, you, you chop it up really small, and you bash up all the bones, and you, you shove them and you pulp everything up. You, it's easier to do that than to get a rich man into the kingdom of heaven uh, at a time when they thought that the rich were the best of the best. It's only possible for anyone to get into heaven, Jesus says, through a miracle of God's kindness as he does something supernatural in their hearts. Second thing he does is he reassures them. Uh, Peter turns around and says, look, we've we gave up everything to come and follow you. And they had. They'd given up their businesses, their, their family life. They'd, they'd all gone off following Jesus. And Jesus reassures them that, uh, that God is no one's debtor. He, he, he doesn't shortchange anyone. He's saying, look, anyone who's a genuine disciple of mine will receive fantastic reward. You will not be sorry. Uh, but finally, he issues this warning. And it's these words. But... Many who are last shall be first, and many who are first will be last. Then he carries on, for the kingdom of heaven is like. And if you look at the last verse that we uh, read out uh, just now, he finishes with the words, So, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Okay, so that's his main point. That's the point that this whole parable is illustrating. So we're going to stick close to that. Okay, I've got two points. Here's the first one. God calls people into his kingdom. So verses 1 to 7. Uh, he starts off, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyards. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyards. Now, in the Bible, uh, God's vineyard comes up again and again as a picture of the kingdom of heaven. It also use of uh, Israel in the Old Testament, and uh, God's people. Uh, so this would, this would be well known to people. Uh, but then you have these casual laborers. Uh, in uh, many parts of the world, people still uh, get jobs this way. Uh, someone would go out early in the morning to uh, a recognized place in the, in the middle of town, maybe, or the, the uh, town gates, and uh, round up workers that they need. Casual labor just for the day. And uh, in societies where there are no benefit systems, this is the way uh, things often work. But it's a very precarious sort of existence. So uh, if you were a slave, you don't have that many rights, but you have some in their culture. Uh, You at least knew that you were going to get fed, and you knew that you had somewhere to sleep. But if you were a casual labourer, and nobody hired you that day, well, you couldn't afford to eat. Or, you know... You, if you were trying to rent somewhere, you'd be in trouble. Your family didn't eat. So it's a dangerous situation to be in. Um, and uh, so that, that's the situation. These are people who are desperately poor and desperate for work. And uh, denaris, uh, while uh, there are all c- kinds of things, pe- people trying to explain how much it is in today's money, who cares? It's a good wage for uh, a day's work uh, because all of them agreed uh, to, uh, to go and work for that. So here we have God calling people to come and work in his kingdom, uh, to, to go and serve him. This kind of begs a bit of a question, doesn't it? Here is the person who created the entire universe by speaking. Uh, the stars, the planets, every part of our earth. Have you ever wondered why it is that God asks people to go and work for him? Why does uh, God ask his people to, uh, uh, to house the homeless and feed the hungry and uh, serve others and to go and tell the good news of the kingdom to other people? Why does he ask people to do all those things, unreliable that we are, when he could just do it himself? Have you, uh, have you ever seen... Uh, a little child uh, help their mum or their gran uh, make mince pies, or uh, jam tarts, or cake, or whatever it is. Um, or maybe you've done this when you were little, or maybe you are that mum or that gran now. And, uh, 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 and they uh, they come out at the end of it, and they're just covered in flour and things, kind of glued onto them all over the place, uh, it's, uh, just in their hair. And say, so I've been helping. You think, oh, great, I bet you are helpful. <laughs> and uh, you go into the kitchen, and the place is a state. And it took about three times as long as it would have otherwise. And uh, the, uh, that gran didn't ask their grandchild to come and help them out with baking this cake because they needed help, did they? They asked them to come and do that because they wanted to share this lovely time together. They wanted uh, uh, to bond with this child as they they work together in doing these things. They wanted to teach the child, help them grow and flourish, as they, teaching them new skills quite badly to begin with. But one day they'd be great at cake baking, uh, and together they enjoy doing this thing together. And the child becomes more like the gran, taking on skills, learning to uh, to, to not just break the whole egg into the bowl, but to to try and keep the shell out of it, learning how to uh, mix things without getting it all over the work surface. And so God asks people and calls people to come and serve him uh, to bless the world around us, not because he needs help. And every now and again, God just just goes over our heads and does something miraculous and, and changes situations. But ordinarily, he calls us to serve him as the body of Christ, uh, to work with the Lord Jesus, becoming like him. Uh, it's uh, a way that we, we grow into the Lord Jesus. We, uh, we, uh, our relationship with God becomes closer. It's all for our good and our blessing that God does this. He, so, uh, But then, having rounded up a bunch of laborers early in the morning, he starts behaving in a way that frankly just isn't normal. So he's uh, got his workforce, but he keeps going out again and again to round up more. So have a look at verse three. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyards and I'll, I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. Uh, he went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. So in their culture, they uh, counted the day as starting at six in the morning. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it, when the sun comes up. and uh, So that's when they counted their hours from. So he went out early in the morning, and then once everybody else had rounded up their workers, and once uh, his workers were uh, hard at work in the vineyard, he went back out again at uh, the third hour, so about nine o'clock. And then again at midday, And then again at uh, three in the afternoon. And this isn't because the landowner's a bit thick and couldn't work out at the beginning of the day how many workers he needs. But instead, it's because he knows that these guys need the work. And in his compassion, he keeps going back, rounding up more people to give them work because they need it, to lift them out of poverty because they got to go home and feed their families, We see this later on with his generosity to the people that uh, arrived late. Uh, This is the kind of bloke who comes back from town with about 10 copies of The Big Issue under his arm, uh, one from every seller he met. It's not because he needs them, but because in his love, he wants to help people out who are in real need. This is God all over, isn't it? He calls us into his kingdom not because he needs us, not because uh, uh, he looks at you or me and thinks, oh, you know, that's such a great woman or that's such a great bloke. Uh, I'm not sure how I could get along without them. I need them. I, I couldn't cope without them. It's for our benefits. He comes down and he lifts us out of our spiritual poverty, out of our need, and brings us to, uh, to be united to him and have this joy as we work with him in uh, building his kingdom. God calls people into his kingdom. Second points. Uh, no, actually, sorry, same points. But uh, I want to rename it at this point. He doesn't just call people to work in his kingdom. Actually, in his compassion, he rescues people into his kingdom. So our God is uh, a loving, rescuing God. And he is reckless in his generosity, as we, we see as we look on. Look at verse 6. About the 11th hour, so 5 o'clock in the evening, just an hour before clocking off time. Still one hour, just 60 minutes to go, and he's out in the marketplace again, rounding up more workers. Uh, He went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyards. Now, this might be one of the most Pathetic scenes in the Bible. Uh, here's a group of people, uh, and they are, they, they've been waiting there all day, all day long, in the marketplace with no work. When you were playing sports in school, did you ever pick teams? So maybe if you played football, and, uh, and people, the two teams took it in turns, you had two captains, and they took it in turns to pick people to come on their team. Who got picked first? The best footballers, didn't they? Uh, The uh, people who are quick and strong and skillful. And uh, the people who are left to last, they were the least likely footballers, weren't they? The the people who were tubby and clumsy. That's the way it works. And uh, so who do you think were the people who got rounded up and snapped up for work first thing in the morning? They were the fit, the strong ones, the guys with broad shoulders and uh, uh, and and an eager smile. The guys that uh, they knew would uh, give them uh, plenty, of, uh, plenty of work for their deniers, They were snapped up first, and then as the day went on, the people were less and less likely, less and less eligible candidates uh, for work. Uh, and as we get to the end of the day, these guys, nobody hired us. Nobody wanted us. These are the guys who, maybe they've got some serious disability. Uh, maybe they're, they're just too old to get much manual work done now these are the guys that you you might wonder why didn't they go home they've been here since six in the morning it's five o'clock in the afternoon why have they not gone home the answer is they're desperate isn't it they they have nowhere else to go they need the work they are desperate so when the landowner comes along and says look go out and work in in my field there's no argument they don't even try and debate pay or anything off they go they have no choice they have nothing else uh, to, uh, to, to do or to ask for. See, here's the comparison that Jesus is making in the story. The people who were hired first, he's not talking about people who served God early in the Old Testament, nor is he talking uh, compared to people who become Christians today, nor is he comparing uh, people who become Christians as little kids compared to people who trust God the day before they die. Now, the comparison he's making are people who outwardly look first in the queue for the kingdom of God. People like the rich young man who the disciples thought, he's a shoe in he is, he is perfect for God's kingdom. And, uh, uh, and instead, people like Conrad Doik, who they look at and think, scumbags. They'll never get in. Uh, what Jesus is saying uh, is, uh, uh, look, he's talking about uh, the difference in perceived rank, who is first in the kingdom of heaven and who is last. Not first in, but most importance. And uh, he's saying about this rich man and, and saying to Peter, Peter said, oh, look, we've, we've uh, left everything to come and follow you. And he's warning him, listen, just because you think you're first in the kingdom of heaven. Don't be presumptuous. Don't be presumptuous. Some who are first who are last. <laughs> and some who are last are first. Uh, some who are who you think are the scum of the earth will be my pride and joy in the end. Uh, so here are all these people. They'd uh, waited there uh, all day long and uh, the landowner decides to be generous to these people. And you think wonderful see god 's grace is fantastic when we are feeling guilty isn 't it When we feel that we 've done something wrong, when we 're looking at ourselves and feeling that we 're in trouble, it is wonderful news to us as we realize that uh, god 's kindness to us is not performance related it is not based on how good we 've been. Uh, or, or anything like that. But actually, it, it can sometimes stick in people's throats when it comes to people like Comrade Doik, or people that we feel are just evil, or have just wasted their lives. And, and then think, how on earth is God being kind to them? Well actually, I know some really nice people, lovely people, worked hard all their lives, paid their taxes, looked after their family, but who God has not welcomed into his kingdom. Well, here's, uh, here's the second and last point. Uh, God's generosity sometimes highlights our stinginess. So have a look at verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning the, with the last one hired and going on to the first. The workers who are hired about the 11th hour. Um, Came and each one received a denarius, so the amount that the first workers had negotiated for a full day's pay. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. And uh, uh, you see what what uh, the landowner is doing here. He's, uh, uh, I mean, you just couldn't run a business like this, could you? Could you? He's not trying to be cost effective. He's looking for people to be generous to. Uh, people to uh, provide for their families. Uh, people to uh, to look after them and lift them out of poverty. Um, see, he is operating a charitable enterprise. Uh, he is there rescuing people. This is not performance-related at all, is it? And, uh, and people who are religious in their attitudes really struggle with this. So... Uh, I don't know if you've, uh, when the JW, the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons knock on the the door, have you ever invited them in and uh, chatted to them about the gospel? Um, uh, There's there's one point in the conversation that always goes the same way, every single time, and uh, with uh, religious people of any denominational group. When it comes to explaining what the Lord Jesus has done on the cross, in saying that he paid the punishment completely, for all who will trust him, that it is not at all performance-related. We cannot add to it. We cannot uh, pay him back for it. Always, the next thing that is said is something along the lines of, well, in that case, you're saying that it doesn't matter how we live. You're saying that we can just live however we want, and it doesn't matter if you just behave abysmally, and they say, oh, yeah, I trust Jesus, and you're in. Now, I'm not worried about that, because... uh, Uh, That's what happens in the Bible a few times. So, for example, um, when Paul has just finished explaining that it is by faith alone that people are united to Jesus and rescued into his kingdom, the very next thing that is said, beginning of chapter 6 and then halfway through chapter 6 as well, says, uh, what should we say then? Should we sin more so that God can just be kinder to us? By no means. So, actually, right back uh, in the early church... People are asking the same questions. And if you're telling people the gospel correctly, they will come back with that response. Well, you're just saying that I can behave how I want. Now, they're wrong. But if they don't jump to that conclusion, you you probably haven't explained it right. But what God is doing is rescuing people. Uh, He is not giving people what... He he is not paying them for services rendered. Uh, But this this is uh, what... uh, Uh, the people hired first start grumbling about. Have a look at verse 11. Uh, When those uh, last people received their denarius, they began to grumble against the landowner. These people who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal with us, uh, who have borne the burden of, of the work and the heat of the day. So the Lord God has decided to be extravagantly generous with some people who we might look at and think, they're never going to get to heaven. They are the worst of the worst. They are horrendous in their behavior. Comrade Doik, he has been extravagantly, extravagantly generous to that person who has done such evil, evil things. All his crimes have been placed on the Lord Jesus Christ and they have been punished there in full and Jesus said, it is finished. And there is nothing more for Comma Doik to pay. At the end, you'll stand before God and God will say, welcome, my child in the Lord Jesus Christ. But some people feel aggrieved. And uh, if, if you're someone who is thinking about that story about Comma or, Doik or thinking about some of these things and, and feeling aggrieved, then there's, I think there's a few reasons for it. Uh, so, so listen to these carefully. Um, first of all, if we're feeling aggrieved at that, then it shows that we think that in some respects, our actions have earned our approval with God. Okay, we might say, you know, we, you know, we may have done uh, nothing, nothing to be compared with what Comrade Deutsch have done. But we feel yeah that 's got to count for something. yeah we, we want God to forgive sin, failure to uh, love Him with all our heart, mind, soul and strength, failure to love neighbor as ourselves. we want him to do that because all of us have failed to do those things, but there've got to be limits, surely. so we think in some way we have earned our approval with God by not being as bad as we could have been and if we feel we have earned it, then actually uh, we suddenly look at our service to God and, and it feels like hard work. You see th- what these people are saying. Look, uh, verse 12. Um, uh, we have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. You see, they, they, f- they don't realize that what God has been doing has been calling them into a relationship with himself, calling them to serve him so they grow and are fulfilled as people, so they become more like the Lord Jesus Christ, so they can be liberated, uh, full of joy as they care for other people, as they join in with God's rescue mission. Now instead, they're thinking, oh, it's been a trudge. It's been hard work. Yeah, we've had to grind it out. So it's like if you had uh, uh, two people who were doing the same job, and uh, one of them uh, was working for a year and uh, you told them okay uh, do this job it's a monotonous job it's easy but it's mono- monotonous every day they've got to go in and um, I don't know they've got to put the sticky labels on cans of beans or something I don't know and, uh, and you tell them at the end of the year you'll have earned 10,000 pounds okay they need the work they go in and they do it but every day will be a grind won't it because it's hard boring work and uh, and they're, they're just earning their pay. It's not much uh, in the grand scheme of things, but they, they just need to earn it. The other, perso- the other person you hire, you're just hiring for a month, and you tell them, at the, end of, uh, at the end of the month, you'll be rewarded with billions and billions of pounds. Now, it's the same job, but as these people go in each day and chat in the, c- in, uh, the coffee room, uh, during break time, the first guy will be saying, "Oh, this is a rubbish job, isn't it?" And the second one will be going, "Do you know what? It's not so bad. I quite like this job." And your attitudes to living with God and working with God and serving Him will vary enormously depending on whether you think you are grinding it out and earning every bit of what He gives you, or whether you realise. That you and I, we don't deserve God's kindness at all. We deserve no reward whatsoever. And yet he has lavished his goodness on us. Uh, we are being uh, uh, ridiculously rewarded for, what we've, uh, uh, for our labor for him. Uh, another thing that uh, we need to remember, if we feel aggrieved, uh, is uh, what these people have forgotten, these first laborers, is they've forgotten that they have been rescued that they needed the work, that the, the landowner didn't call them in to serve him because he needed them, but because they needed him. And God has not called us into his kingdom, called us to serve and obey him because he needed us, but because we needed him. See, our problem is that we read this story and sometimes we associate far too quickly with the first laborer's hires. We think, oh, they've got a point because we feel that. Uh, You know, we're people who are serving God, and it's harsh if other people get rewarded uh, the the same as us. But what we've forgotten is that we haven't earned a thing from God. Uh, He calls us to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves, and we have failed. Every day we fail. And so every day we get further and further in debt if we're keeping score. And so what we have earned at the end of it, It's actually his punishment and exile from God's. We have no right to turn around to other people that God is being generous to, that God is being merciful to, and saying, why are you being generous to them? Because he's being generous to us. We depend on his mercy. We depend on his generosity. We are completely stuffed without it. So how dare we wag our finger at God's generosity to to other people? Yeah, maybe he's being more generous to Comrade Deutch than... Maybe anyone else in the world, but we still depend on his generosity. And if he gave us what people, if he started being fair, then we'd be in so much trouble. Uh, look at how he uh, replies uh, to these people in, in verse 13. He answered one of them, Friend, am I being unfair to you? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? It's a little bit like, um, you imagine uh, someone who uh, has been in one of these terrible uh, places, hit by uh, one of these earthquakes. And, uh, uh, and he was cleverer and he was smarter and he dashed out of uh, the building before it collapsed. And uh, now, after the earthquake, he has needs. He needs shelter, he needs food, uh, he needs help. But to begin with, all the work is going to try and dig out the survivors. And can you imagine someone who'd escaped from the building saying, look, why are you putting all this effort, why are you putting all this generosity in to help them? They're the stupid ones. They're the ones who didn't get out in time. Why are you trying to make them equal with me when I've done better? That would be an evil attitude, wouldn't it? They're forgetting that uh, this is a rescue mission. This isn't about fairness. This isn't about equality. This is about rescue. People in desperate needs. And this is what the landowner is, expecting, is uh, explaining to him. This is not about fairness. This is about generosity. Uh, This is not about what you have earned, but my kindness to people in desperate, desperate needs. And we also see here how far out of step with God's attitude they are. Here is God rescuing people. And Jesus is actually the only person who deserves to be in that category, who has earned his way with God's who has lived that perfect life where he has loved God with all his mind, strength, soul, and strength. Um, uh, The only one who genuinely loved others, the only one who genuinely resisted temptation to to just perpetuate evil in the world, uh, but rescued others. You see, he is the one who has the right to go up to God and say, I need the good things that I've earned. And yet he isn't turning around to us and saying, Why are we just giving these plebs the goodness that only I deserve? You see, if we're going to wag our finger at God being generous and forgiving to someone like Comrade Doik or anyone else that we think is just beyond the pale, then what we're saying is, I think Jesus is evil as he shows generosity and kindness to us. And you look at what uh, the, the landowner says. He says to them, look, Take your pay and go. He sends them away. He sends them out of his presence. And you see how uh, he, uh, he finishes uh, this, uh, this passage. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. In God's sight, we are all guilty. And it is so silly of us to start splitting heads about who's guiltier. We all are. We all depend on God's mercy, his generosity, and his rescuing hearts. And for us to wag our fingers at anybody else, for us to lord it over anyone, to, to say, look, you're a scumbag and you should be more like me. It's just horrendous. It is evil. And ultimately, if that per- persists, it shows that we know nothing of God's grace at all. We are not united to him in his rescue mission. Uh, and, and we are sent away. We may think that we're first in the queue for the kingdom of heaven. But it will be revealed. If that's our attitudes, If we don't repent of that. then actually we're lost. We thought we were in. We thought we'd earned it. And we're at the back door. We have nothing to do with it at all. And yet there will be people that we look down on. That we think uh, uh, have been lazy. Or uh, uh, have behaved in appalling ways. Who God delights to take really rough raw material and make into his great artwork uh, his uh, masterpiece who will be people who praise him forever uh, that just highlight his mercy his undeserved gracious kindness and how how much the cross of Jesus Christ achieves